Bank Stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. What is up, Dodgers Nation? Welcome to another episode of Dodgers Dugout Live. On today's show, the Dodgers are seen as the favorites for Shohei Otani. Got a little update on that and a little update on a pitch we talked about yesterday, Yamamoto. We're also going to talk about the best and worst moves that Andrew Friedman made this season. All that and more coming up here on this live edition of Dodgers Dugout Live. My name is Doug McCain, credentialed member of Dodgers Media. You can follow me on the X and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. And if you have not yet, all latest Dodgers news and rumors all offseason long, you're not going to want to miss a thing. It is going to be a wild offseason for the Dodgers. It's going to be the winter of Otani. So you're not going to want to miss that. Lots of movement, so you're not going to miss the thing. So be sure to hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. And if you really want to support the channel, smash that like button. I got my producer, Mr. Jordan, over there. He's looking for your comments. At the end of every segment, we're going to find the best comments. going to read them out. Got a couple here. We got Jared Miles says, Yamamoto. Darren says, DMAC, let's go. What up, Darren, over there? We got Diane Schroeder, the fairy godmother of the Dodgers Nation live stream. She's rocking with us, as always. And we got Roy Estrada. Hi, Diane. Okay, we got Hi DMAC. We got Hi DMAC from Victor Banos from work in Ensenada, Baja, California. You got a super chat here. Do you believe Jocktober can help us? Tabar, we'll talk about that one in a second. We need old time. So you guys are lighting up that comment section. I like this one from BC. And we'll get into it saying the Trastros getting swept. I wouldn't jump the gun on that because if you look at the Astros this season, their success home in a way, it's very different. I would. See, I would not close the book on the Astros. I think there's a chance they come back in that series. But yeah, give a lot of credit to that Rangers team. But we are going to get into this first nugget here. This comes from Bob Nightingale. And yesterday we talked about free agent pitcher, Yoshinobu Yamamoto. We talked about how this guy could change this Dodgers rotation, how he's only 25 years old. It's probably going to cost north of $200 million. He will not come cheap. But after the video, a story came out, and Bob Nightingale, he wrote, Japanese right-hander Yoshinobu Yamamoto, 25, also is high on the Dodgers' wish list, along with the New York Yankees and Mets. So at 25, he's expected to be posted by the Oryx Buffaloes, and he's going to have tons of suitors. There's going to be the big names, like the Bob Nightingale mentioned, New York Yankees, the New York Mets, lots of high-priced suitors. But also something you need to know is the Dodgers, they have thoroughly scouted him. Not even just at the WBC when he was Otani's teammate. They've had their eyes on Yamamoto for a couple of years now. And if they can get him at the right price, expensive, they're going to have to definitely step up. You're not going to get this one on the cheap. You definitely have to compete with the big markets out there. But after what we saw last year, they didn't get Kodai Senga. They didn't get Carlos Rodon, which was a good move. You didn't get Justin Verlander. It does feel like to me that this team is going to prioritize starting pitching, not just the formation projects like the Tyler Anderson's and the Noah Syndergaards and guys like that. I think they realize at this point, after what we saw in the NLDS, where you're only able to get four and two-thirds innings from your starting pitchers, yet an ERA north of 25, it was literally historically bad. They were only able to get 
13 outs to give 14 runs. That's how bad it was. And there's so many questions, too. Clayton Kershaw, he could be retired. He could be retired after the season. He could be hanging and I'll be back. We know Julio Urias, he was said to be a free agent, and the Dodgers were unlikely to sign him anyway, so he's gone. Tony Gonsolin, you lose him for next season with Tommy John surgery. Dustin May has his second major elbow surgery, flexor tendon surgery in the last couple years. He's going to be on the shelf for most of next year. Now, you do get Walker Bueller back. You do have Bobby Miller, who has emerged as an ace. Those are two guys that can front your rotation. But do you really want to bank on a starting pitcher that's had his second Tommy John surgery? Do you really want to bank on a rookie who in his first taste of postseason action wasn't able to handle? He gave up those two, those three runs there, wasn't able to go deep into that game. I think the answer is unequivocally no. I think this team needs to acquire elite starting pitching, whether it be via trade, whether it be via agency. And the reason why I think Yoshinobu Yamamoto is someone they might give the bag to is simply because age. He's 25 years old. Blake Snell, 31. Aaron Nola, 31. Most cases for pitchers, you're not going to see them hit the market until they're 30 and beyond. This is a unique situation where he's going to be by the Oryx Buffaloes. They're going to have to pay him a lot, but I think they would feel good about paying him that amount of money knowing him for his prime years versus if you give that money to a Blake Snell and you give that money to an Aaron Nola, you're giving them that money knowing that probably the last couple years of that deal, they might see a drop off as far as overall production. But let me know down below. What are your thoughts on the idea of Yamamoto on a scale of one to 10? How badly do you need this guy? I need him as bad as I need oxygen. Okay, that's how much I want to see another Japanese superstar pitcher pitch for this Los Angeles Dodgers organization. The heritage, the lineage, Kenta Maeda to Hideo Nomo. I mean, this makes a ton of sense to me. Let's go down below. We got feed is unstable. DMAC working on that feed right now. Not sure what is up with that feed, but we got a 10 from Alex. We got Daniel says a 10. We got a 100 from William Brazelton. You want all of the Yamamoto. We got DMAC. What up, Joe Mama? Yeah, so yeah, he's someone that you really would hit your wagon to, in my opinion. And if you didn't watch yesterday's show, you can go back and check it out. But, I mean, if you look at the consistency of Yamamoto and how much he's going to get, $200 million, right? A 184 ERA, 883 innings since 2017. And this season, he had that ERA down to 132 in his first 21 appearances. The strikeout rate at 25.2%. The walk rate at 4.4%. He's going to need to be posted, but it's widely expected within the industry that that is just a formality at this point. And you look at some of the examples. Kenta Maeda had a 239 ERA. Otani, really young, right? 255. Kodai Senga, a 242 ERA. Compare that to Yamamoto at 132. He's been better than Kodai Senga, better than Kenta Maeda, better than even Otani at this stage. He just turned 25 in August. And Senga, he signed with the Mets last season, and he comes over for his age 30 season. So if you look at the deal that Senga signed with the Mets, and you want to use that as somewhat of a comp, he goes five years, $75 million, but that's a guy who's at age 30. We're talking about someone 
who's really entering his prime. And he's someone that is not going to be eligible for a qualifying offer, but the signing club is going to have to pay that posting fee. And that's what makes things that much more expensive. Now, if you're looking for one comp, you look at Masahiro Tanaka. So Tanaka signed that seven-year $155 million deal with the Yankees basically over a decade ago. He was 25 years old in 2013. He had a 127 ERA. So that really is the comp right there. And at the time, that was the fifth largest contract for a pitcher in Major League Baseball history. So I think that you're going to see a $200 million contract if you want his services. And if you look at his stuff, he's nasty, he's filthy, and his repertoire is going to play up in the postseason. You're talking about a dirty curveball. You've heard scouts compared to the right-handed version of Clayton Kershaw. And you're also going to be looking at a fastball that's sitting right there in the upper 90s. He's got an array of off-speed pitches. And what we've seen this postseason is premium starting pitching wins. Just look at Jordan Montgomery the other night. Look at what Nathan Eovaldi was able to do. Look at the other series with Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler. Look at the series the Dodgers lost with Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly. You need premium starting pitching if you want to win in October. The Dodgers didn't have that, and they got bounced in three games. And yes, it was the offense's fault. Yes, they all failed the group project save for the bullpen, but still... The offense, they were put in a really precarious situation where right when they got to the plate, they were facing deficits. Six nothing in game one, three nothing in game two. Lynn, he was solid for a few innings until the wheels fell off and he gave up four dingers there in the third inning. So yeah, it's concerning if you look at with the direction of the starting pitching. And I think that they have to open up the pocketbook. You have to open up the pocketbook. And I think another detail is how does this impact getting Shohei Otani? And that is the next update here. And Shohei Otani is widely considered to be the best free agent that the game has ever seen. When you consider what he can do in the box, he's an MVP as a hitter. When you consider what he can do on the mound when he's healthy, he's a Cy Young contender that misses bats, has an explosive fastball and a sweeper and a splitter, right? It remains to be seen how effective he's going to be after a second Tommy John surgery. But still, even if you look at what he produces from a war standpoint, it still justifies a $50 million per year contract. Yes, he's going to get all the money. Now, where do the Dodgers stand with Otani? Well, Bob Nightingale, he also reported that the Dodgers are favorites, are widely considered to be the favorites to sign Shohei Otani. And that's really nothing new. I mean, Buster Olney, he was on this show. I asked him if he thought the Dodgers were going to be aggressive. He said, absolutely. You've heard multiple insiders suggest that the Dodgers are right at the top. But I will say that it's tough to get a read on Shohei. Shohei Otani is not someone who's very public. He doesn't have in-depth interviews with any national media members, right? And he's someone I think is committed to winning. I think he's committed to putting himself in a comfortable situation. You remember back when he originally signed with the angels that came as a shock to the industry, not only because it was the angels, but because they didn't have a lot of international signing bonus pool money or anything like that. Right. I mean, they didn't have a lot of resources to get him and they were still able to get him when they did. And if you look at where the Dodgers sit right now, as far as Shohei Otani and are they in a position to add him? 
Well, the answer is absolutely yes. They have six players under contract for next season at around $84 million. You got Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Chris Taylor, Austin Barnes, Miguel Rojas, and Tony Gonsolin, who's expected to spend the entire next year recovering from Tommy John surgery. And then you got 11 arbitration eligible players. And the big money ones will be Will Smith, Evan Phillips, Walker Bueller. Then you got a lot of low cost talent that are going to be key, key contributors. Guys like Bobby Miller, guys like James Alvin. That's going to help you fill out your roster to be able to allocate those resources for big name free agents. So they certainly have a lot of room to be able to sign a Shohei Otani. So that is the latest with Shohei Otani. Another interesting nugget on the Otani is that the story now is that the angels are quote, cautiously optimistic that the, that Otani will stay with them. They're cautiously optimistic that the angels will stay with them. If you are Shohei Otani and you resign with that angels team, I don't want to hear anything about you're committed to winning. I don't want to hear that ever again, just like Mike Trout signed that extension with them and they haven't even put together a winning season, not even a postseason. We can't even talk about the postseason with the angels. They haven't put together a winning season. And when you saw what Artie Moreno did at the deadline, making those big splash moves and then placing all those players on waivers, he was acting like a petulant little fantasy football owner that's trying to wreck his league or he's, playing Monopoly and just flips the board game upside down, ruins the game for everyone. If you're Otani, do you really want to go back to that? Go back to Artie Moreno that hasn't proven that he can build a contender. I think that would be a huge mistake. I don't believe that at all. If I'm going to bust out the Dodgers rumor meter for that one, I'm going to give that a one Dodgers dog. I just can't foresee a world where Shohei Otani goes back to the angels. That would be not only catastrophic for his career and his legacy, but for the overall health of major league baseball, you have a transcendent superstar. One of the few guys that really moves the needle. He doesn't move the needle. He is the damn needle. Okay. That's how big Shohei Otani is when it comes to TV ratings, Jersey sales, sponsorships, his international appeal. So if he goes back to the angels who have one of the smaller markets, as far as fan interest goes, it's really small compared to other big markets. And then the bottom line is you won't see him on the biggest stage. If he goes back to the angels and he doesn't make the postseason ever during his prime, what is his highlight tape going to look like? I mean, that'd be like if Michael Jordan spent his career on the Los Angeles Clippers, right? You just can't have that if you are Shohei Otani. So maybe that's a bargaining chip. Maybe that is his agent, Nez Bolello trying to make everyone look like they're involved. It makes sense, but I just don't anticipate that. So yeah, I just don't believe that for a second. Now some more news as far as Bob Nightingale's nuggets that he dropped in his piece yesterday and a little follow-up from a picture that we talked about in Blake Snell, the Dodgers Snellzilla could be an option, could be a viable option. If Clayton Kershaw doesn't return, if you want another frontline lefty starter and you want to hit the free agent market and you want to spend money, and you miss out on a Shohei Otani, right? And you're not able to get the big fish. You don't want to spend that money somewhere. If Blake Snell makes sense to you, it's going to be interesting to see if they go that route because Bob Nightingale says that the Seattle Mariners shrewdest move this winter could be signing Padres free agent ace, Blake Snell, a Seattle native. 
and trading some of their young pitching depth for position players. So one absolutely agree that Blake Snell makes sense for the Seattle Mariners. They traded for Luis Castillo at the deadline back in 2022. They gave him an extension. They're clearly all in on winning. I will say if you heard their now gone GM about wanting to win like 54, 56% of their games and that baseball is a crapshoot. I think this would kind of defy that, but Blake Snell is someone who provides frontline starting pitching. If you're looking for a guy that if he has it in October in a game, he can win you a game. You guys know where I sit on Blake Snell. I kind of want to ask you guys down below in the comment section on a scale of one to 10, how we got Blake smell from Gary a that's a bruh. <laughs> uh, what do you guys think about Blake Snell in Dodger blue? Me personally, you know, I bring my facts to the fight. And the reason why I'm against Blake Snell is because I think that it's highly unlikely that you will get this year's version of Blake Snell again for the remainder of his career. You might get glimpses of it. You might get years where you're somewhat close to it, but all the numbers indicate that he's due for some serious regression to the mean 2018. He was phenomenal for the Rays, a 189 ERA, right? But Next four years, a 3.85 ERA and five starts. This year, he started there at a 5.40 ERA before posting a 1.26 ERA in his next 22 outings. And then you look at he finished the year. You look at the numbers. Like I said, it looks great. It's nice, shiny, fancy. The car is pristine. But then we look under the hood. It's not the same. So a 2.25 ERA, 31 and a half strikeout rate. That's fantastic. But one, look at the walk rate. I mean, issue so many walks, my dog's starting to get jealous. I mean, 13.3% walk rate, that's a concern. And even more of a concern is an 86.2% strand rate. So you're not going to see that in the future. What that means is that when there's, there's base runners and he's on the mound, he's stranding them at an 86.2% rate. That's well above league average. You got a BABIP in the 250 range. So for me, I'm not playing... I'm not going to pay Blake Snell. For me, I think that's not a move I want to see made. But let's go down below in the comment section. We got Charles W. Hart says, need a left-handed starter. Yes, that's... I mean, Jordan Montgomery's going to be available. You could probably get him at half the price. Talk about Jordan Montgomery. Justin Lamas. Yeah, 998. We got Alex. I like Snell, but not as a Dodger. I feel that take, Alex. I've got players like that, too. I like them, but not as a Dodger. So, I agree. I think... If this organization is going to do something that they haven't done, right? I mean, I'm not saying they're devoid of starting pitching talent. They're not, but they like to either develop it or trade for it when there's not a lot of team control left, right? For example, you get Max Scherzer, expiring deal. You get you Darvish, expiring deal, right? You sign Noah Syndergaard, one-year, $13 million deal. Same with Tyler Anderson, one-year deal. And just look at the front of the rotation for the last couple of years. Kershaw Urias, those were both Ned Coletti guys, right? So Trevor Bauer was the exception, and that was on a shorter-term contract, but really you haven't seen that. Mrs. Penny says, I'd take, I'd take, <laughs> look at this. I love this from Hugo Hernandez. This is an early comment of the day. Hey, DMAC, can we sign Bruce Dar's mom? Yeah, Bruce Dar's mom, she could probably have done a better job than Lance Lynn. I just know that. I don't know for a fact, but I think I know it's the truth. Even Mookie's mom on the first pitch. She could definitely get some outs there for sure. But uh, San Diego has stink on Snell. That's from Craig Osterberg. I like this from Blantine over on YouTube. Sign Otani to eight to 10 years. Let him enter the Hall of Fame as a Dodger. So 
that's a really good point. And I think that you can't avoid mentioning that. That's part of the conversation for Shohei Otani is that if you do sign him, you're signing an iconic player that's going to enter the history books. When Ken Burns entered about baseball and he talks about Shohei Otani, you want him in Dodger blue because that's just great for your franchise. That's a jersey that fans will wear 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years after they retire. Go to Dodger Stadium. How many Sandy Koufax number 32 jerseys do you see? How many Fernando Valenzuela number 34 jerseys do you see? How many Jackie Robinson number 42 jerseys do you see? You see those because they're iconic players. And Otani is surely an iconic player to begin with. And then if he is able to have success and win a World Series, you compound and multiply that legend and legacy that much more. So I think you bring up a good point in that you're not just buying a player that can help you win, which he does. You're buying a player that increases your brand prestige, right? And I think that's something that is a factor. I absolutely do believe that Diane says that she would rather have Jordan Montgomery over Blake Snell. I'm with you on that, Diane. I would absolutely take Monty over Blake Snell because look, the thing about Blake Snell is the efficiency tends to be an issue. Also when he's off, it tends to be an issue. I think both players at the prices and the contracts they're going to get, you could probably make the case that maybe both of them have a drop off as far as their production. But here's the reality with, with Jordan Montgomery at the trade deadline. Here's the thing at the trade deadline, the Dodgers could have gotten Jordan Montgomery. The price was a little high on him, but he was there for the Dodgers taking right. But they didn't trade for him and they got Lance Lynn. They tried to trade for Erod that fell through because he used his veto. He had a no trade clause, but Jordan Montgomery has been the best pitcher down the stretch for the last part of the season since the trade deadline. And in the postseason, when it matters most, a 208 ERA and 17 and the thirds innings of work. He's someone, if you look at the chase, he's able to get, it's impressive. He doesn't walk guys. That's the opposite. Blake Snell walks a ton of guys. Jordan Montgomery is in the 81st percentile, 85th percentile when it comes to walk percentage. But uh, yeah, so that's the other nugget. Blake Snell, the Mariners, Otani still the favorite for the Dodgers. I'll believe it when I see it. I feel like that's your classic offseason. Let's throw the Dodgers in a headline with Otani. Dodgers plus Otani equals gets clicks. I am someone who's guilty of doing that here. So I'm not saying I'm against it, but I think that Otani is playing things so close to the vest that I don't think it's a foregone conclusion right now where he's going to go. But a couple more here before you change the next topic. We got Gabe who says Kershaw needed to get to the postseason and hasn't done anything in the, I wouldn't say he hasn't done anything. He's had his, his great starts in the postseason. That's definitely not the case. Look at the brave series. A couple years ago, look at 11 strikeout game in game one of the 2017 world series game five. He was cruising until the cheating just came to a head and, they blew it there. So yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I would say that if you look at the history of major league baseball, the disparity of his regular season dominance compared to his postseason dominance is probably as wide as any pitcher. And is more of a credit to how great he's been in the regular season where he's posted that 248 ERA, a sparkling minuscule ERA versus you'll look at the postseason. It's just not the same results of 449 ERA, which is like the worst in baseball history with a pitcher with a minimum of a hundred innings. But uh, yeah, I'm not going to go too deep in the weeds on Kirsch. Give you an update on him. 
Hopefully today, if Andrew Friedman mentions anything about it, but a couple more nuggets as far as the rumors go, you got one on Corbin Burns. So yes, the free agents are nice. Yes, you want to go shopping, right? You save that money. You paid off some of that credit card debt. You got that credit score back up. You want to go shopping, but don't discount the trade market as far as acquiring your frontline starter. And Bob Nightingale says the Milwaukee Brewers have no choice but to keep Cy Young winner Corns one last season before he hits free agency in 2024. So he's suggesting that Brewers are going to keep Corbin Burns. And if that's the case, that has a big impact on the market because one, that increases the prices for the premium free agents that are available, the Blake Snells, the Montgomery's, the Nola's, the Yamamoto's, those types. And then two, it's going to change the trade market during the season Next year, like I said, Friedman likes to get the Halloween candy the day after, likes to get some value out of it. You're not going to be able to get value if there's not of names available. If Dylan Cease becomes available with one more year of team control, maybe that's an option they explore. But if Corbin Burns stays in Milwaukee, it makes an already really scarce market of starting pitchers even that much more. So it's going to be an arms race to get the arms this offseason. I'm telling you, teams out there, they're seeing how do you win in the postseason in this current format. And what we know now, clutch players, timely hits, superstars that deliver. I'm looking at you, Bryce Harper, and starting pitching that you can trust. So that's definitely something to factor in. And then one last thing I want to say is watching that Phillies game yesterday, one, that place is lit. That I mean, you, it is so loud. I can hear it from my house how loud it is in Philly. That is how loud it is. That crowd from start to finish, they are hungry for a World Series title. They love this team. Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, the stars that they do have, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos. They have really built a team of guys that don't come off as these nice guys, right? They kind of come off of these kind of these badass guys, right? If there was a major league four, I'd be cool with it starring the Philadelphia Phillies. Not so sure I'd run to watch that version of the Dodgers, right? I think the Phillies, when you look at the fight, the Philly fanatics, the fan base, brotherly love, right? And you look at the pitching, that's a team that I think you can see the DNA and what it means. I feel like I said before this postseason, one thing I was wrong about, I said the Dodgers would beat the Diamondbacks. I predicted they would sweep the D-backs. Boy, was I wrong. Thanks for making me look bad, Dodgers offense starting pitching. But I also predicted that the Phillies would beat the Atlanta Braves in that first round. And the reason was, is because that team, one, has played like a 100-win team for the last four months of the season. And two, they are built for October. Dodgers, they're August. Phillies, they're built for October. And if you look at the Phillies and what the Dodgers can learn from the Phillies is the Phillies had an opening day payroll in 2000. 2019 of $68.9 million, $68.9 million in 2019 for the entire payroll for the entire team. Okay. Since then their owner, John Middleton, he spent $1.0 billion in acquiring top level talent. Guys like Bryce Harper, JT Romuto, Zach Wheeler, Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos and Trey Turner. Right? So it tells you that if you do want to go all in, push those chips in, you can't think about the sustainability. You have to be able to really prioritize certain players that you believe in that are going to get you over the top. And what are the Phillies on the cusp of doing? 
a second straight World Series appearance. You could see them winning a World Series title with their superstar player performing at his very best. That's all you can ask for. That is the mission accomplished. That is the apex. That's reaching the mountaintop. That's Rocky going up the stairs, man. That's Rocky being Ivan Drago in Rocky four, right? And this is a team that they are not afraid to go at their opponent. They're not afraid, right? And they're, they see themselves as this Rocky underdog at times, right? But in Rocky four, what happened when Ivan Drago saw his blood for the first time, when Stallone really hit him, that's how he knew that he got scared. And I think that's what this Philly team does. They're not afraid to throw a punch and get that haymaker in. And I think it sets the tone for the entire series. So I think what the Dodgers can learn from this Phillies team is don't look at what happened in New York with the Mets and what happened down in San Diego, right? They spent the money, but on the wrong guys, they didn't know what they were doing. So you have to be a really great judge of character. And I want to see the Dodgers be aggressive this off season, acquire top level superstar talent as much as possible. Go all in because otherwise you're not maximizing Freddie Freeman and, and Mookie Betts and some of these stars on the, the window has essentially shut with that core from the past. Turner's gone. Belly's gone. Seager's gone. Kershaw's probably going to retire. Urias, he, he gets arrested on DV charges. He was gone that way. So that window is really shut and you're still going to get Bueller back. And so let me, some guys going to emerge, but you got to invest in a whole new core of players. And I think from a character standpoint, give me some guys who are the bad cops. I need some bad cops. I don't need the yes men. I don't need the dancing Freddie thing. And that's cool. That's fine. It's good for team chemistry during the year, but give me the guy who will take a bat and basically beat up a water cooler with it. Right. Give me one of those guys. Give me the Andre Ether beating up the, the bat, right? I mean, taking the bat and beating up the cooler. I think we need some more of those guys in this dugout because I think that absolutely permeates a clubhouse and it sets a different tone. But let's go into the comments here. Hear what you guys have to say. Thanks for rocking with us here on this live edition of Dodgers Dugout. If you have not yet, be sure to subscribe to the channel. We got Jeff Kent. I like that one. He looks like he's the typical movie cop, Jeff Kent. We got uh, Nando390. Correa was a bad guy. But a ton of you said no, LOL. By the way, Mr. Klimpasius, who happy birthday to the great Klimpasius. I know he's rocking with us. Got a big party on Saturday. I'll leave his address down below in the description. You guys can all roll. But shout out to Mr. Klimpasius. He was a strong advocate for Carlos Correa. And for that very reason is that he said that, okay, he brings a different dynamic, a different tone, a different edge. Some guys cannot handle the pressure of October. Some guys, I think too, an underrated aspect I don't think people have talked about is I think some guys' bodies, they kind of break down. I mean, I think they're so worn down through an entire 162-game regular season that you don't see them perform at their very best. I think Mookie Betts is someone who, if you look at his August numbers compared to September and October, last three seasons, it trends the wrong direction. In 2020, he was really good in the postseason for the Dodgers, but that was a 60-game season. Just a little fruit for thought there. And I found it very interesting that Mookie Betts talked about how the organization made him essentially in his own words, go up and add nine pounds to so the boss had to add nine pounds of muscle. That tells me that the organization recognized that from Mookie Betts. And that's part of the reason why you start to see him struggle down the stretch. It's just a theory. It's Hey, I own a lot of tinfoil hats, not just Dodgers nation and Dodgers hats. And that's just a theory that I have, but uh, let's go look down below. Roy Estrada, you go DMAC. Hey, Astros lose, then I will recover from our loss. 
Rangers, Phillies in World Series. Okay, Roy Estrada, I'm totally with you. I'm at the point where I'm just bitterly rooting against the Astros. That's where we are as a fan base. That's all we have is just rooting against the Astros. That was my World Series pick. I had Dodgers versus Astros in the Fall Classic. I was trying to LeVar ball and manifest that because I felt like that was the best matchup for TV, right? For the ratings. And I just want a little closure there. I think that would have been a big series. But like I said, I am afraid to say anything about the Astros going down. And I really do want to see a longer series because I just have mixed emotions about that whole series. I'm not going to lie. I feel like maybe can we just root for a meteor, but we'll save Corey Seager and some of our guys. But look, I think for me, the mixed emotions come with the fact that it hurts. It pains me. Seager had a hit yesterday. I think he went one for five. I know he went one for five, but it pains me to see him have success in that stadium, right? In that uniform. And yeah, I mean, part of the reason the Dodgers won that world series because of Corey Seager, man. I mean, people say Friedman and, and Dave Roberts, all of them get credit for sure. But if Seager doesn't go into God mode, they're still suffering a world series drought. I'm pretty confident in saying that, but uh, let's, let's read some more comments here. Then we're going to get into Andrew Friedman's best and worst moves. I got some thoughts on Andrew Friedman, who is holding a press conference at Dodger stadium. We will be in the mix. So we will definitely give you all the coverage from that. So stay tuned. So that'll be later today. But uh, yeah, I got some thoughts on Andrew Friedman. Still one of the best in the game. Don't deny that at all. Love you, D-Mac. I love you back, Jimmy, over there. We got Gary A. Dodgers need a power clutch bat and a power clutch arm. That's all. Gary A., that's a really good start. I mean, J.D. Martinez is someone who historically is one of the most clutch bats in the postseason. Coincidentally, he was the only guy that left the yard, only got to hit a home run in the postseason. So, yeah, that's one thing that I really wish we had a better understanding of as far as roster construction is you have players like Kike Hernandez who performs so well in the postseason, right? He had three hits. I think he should have been starting games one or two, maybe two at the very least. I mean, when you trade for him, I think... got to give him that opportunity, right? Banana, get that banana mojo in there, right? But it's very interesting. These players that perform well, Eddie Rosario, Kike Hernandez, some of these years in 2018 for the Red Sox, he's out of the league. I mean, baseball is just very interesting as well in October, but not having it translate through a whole 162 game season. So I think the big question I have is at what point do you sign players that have success in the postseason. I think they 100% with a bullet need to sign Kike Hernandez back for nothing else than just straight up vibes, but also pretty versatile righty bat, especially when you look at the strides he took this year when he rejoined the Dodgers. He need to bring Kike back. But at one point, if you're the Dodgers, do you not necessarily overpay, but you prioritize postseason pedigree and statistics, knowing that you might not have as great of a regular season performance, right? You might lose some games in the regular season, but you know when the lights turn on in October that they're going to perform. I think you have to kind of find that balance, and I think it's really complicated because I just talked about Corey Seager going into God mode and catching fire and carrying the Dodgers to a championship on the same token. Before that year, he was hitting 202 in his career, and he was the guy the Dodgers fans pointed their fingers at saying that he couldn't get it done. So point I'm trying to make is that sometimes it just takes one postseason. Trey Turner's a perfect example. He's the guy that was, okay, playoff T. Where's playoff? I think I just made that up, actually. But he's something you could say playoff Trey Turner, right? Doesn't perform well. 
he's having success. So sometimes it just takes one postseason, and it's really a small sample size relative to how many at-bats and play appearances you get in the regular season. But here, let's read some of these comments here. We got, uh, has anyone said yet, said it yet? Okay, I will fire Roberts. That's from Cesar. Fire Roberts. Hashtag guys. I mean, he can win the next 20 World Series. I know you guys would still say it. Always say it. Always. You guys blame him before the sinking of the Titanic. Boomer Assassin. Curse needs to retire. Thank you for your service, sir. That's from Boomer Assassin. My thoughts on that question is, and we're going to talk about Curse right now as far as the best signings for Friedman this offseason is I would say that if he can be effective, the key for him is to put him in a role where he's throwing less than 100 innings, putting in a, him in a role where he's not your game one starter, right? You can't treat him like he's an A. He's not an A anymore. He's not an A. That's just the reality. He's really an A during certain stretches, right? But you're not getting the Kershaw of old. You're getting the old Kershaw. And that's just the reality. So if he can stay healthy, I still think he could be a solid B and you take a B. Mike was still very effective before he was injured. So it's really just a matter of health. And I need him to get 56 more strikeouts. It would lead me to lose sleep knowing that Kirsch did not get those 3,000 strikeouts. I don't want to 3,000 starring. Could it be like maybe Chris Pratt or someone who would start Kirsch on a movie? I don't think about that one where he's trying to be Kershaw getting that 3000 strikeout. I don't need to see that. He's 56 punches away. At least get the three K at least let us give you your flowers on a big stage for everything you've done for this organization, because say what you want about Kirsch. He's still, and always will be a Mount Rushmore player for this Dodgers organization. Him and Sandy Koufax, they're sitting at that lunch table all by themselves. Not even Drysdale and Fernando Valenzuela are at that lunch table, in my opinion. But uh, Montgomery and Yamamoto from Lorenzo. We got Gary A. What have the Dodgers done lately to sway Otani? He might stay in Anna Slime. Finish him. Wouldn't shock me. Yeah, that's interesting because if you watch the preview show, one of the storylines that I presented was, what can the Dodgers do this October to show Shohei that they are the perfect organization for him to sign with. And what I said was that, look, even if you're going to lose, even though it's pretty much understood that the Dodgers did not have the requisite starting pitching to win a piece of metal, AKA a commissioner's trophy, AKA world series ring, right? You probably did not have that, but still had Bobby Miller pitch. Well, right. Had Ryan Pepe got an opportunity to pitch and pitch. Well, had James Altman had a good series. If you're Otani and you look at the Dodgers, you say they have young talent, they have emerging talent, they have young, controllable talent that's inexpensive that we did not have in Anaheim, and then you have the superstars. So I would say the answer is not that much. I mean, not that much. And then you also, if you want to go deeper into it, if you're Otani, you probably say Mookie has not performed well in the postseason in the last couple of years. Freddie Freeman performed well last year and he did in 2021, but he's not getting any younger, right? So I would say not that much, but the most important thing is that not only do you add Otani this offseason, you add some pieces around him and you make it very clear that this team is all in in the next two to three seasons. So to answer your question a little more succinctly, succinctly, I would say that you have to be very clear that you want to win not next year, the year in four or five years. You don't want to go with the want to win next year, the year after that, the next three three years. Cause that is Otani's prime, right? He turned 30 on July 5th, right? So 
kind of the, I mean, he turned 29 on, on, on July 5th. So you look at that prime right there. You got, he's Andrea's age 29 season, 30, 32. I look at that window and say, okay, are we going to part ways with some of these assets as far as some of these younger guys? If it means maybe having some lean years, six, seven years down the road, that to me would be my number one question. If I was Otani, because the reality is they have all the resources to pull off any trade and make any signing that they want. But, uh, my watch is making sounds. I'm going to turn it off here. Gary, Hey, what we got? Uh, Harper is dialed in. That's from Craig Osterberg. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Philly makes my hair stand up as don't happen at the ravine. Yeah. Look, Dodgers fans. I would say that they're the best in the game. It does not get any better than Dodgers fans. As far as their loyalty, their commitment, watching every game, listening to every game. But here I'll speak from my own standpoint. We get nervous. We get anxiety. We get nervous because we've seen this scary movie. What I always say, the scariest movie in October is not Halloween, Scream, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Exorcist. The scariest movie in October is the Dodgers in the postseason, right? So there's a lot of nervous energy at the ravine. But when a moment goes down, when Cody Bellinger hits that game-tying home run in 2021 against the Braves, when Uribe hit that go-ahead home run in 2013, when you see those big moments, Chris Taylor getting the wild-card walk-off shot there against the Cardinals there in 2021, when there's a big moment, it doesn't get any louder than Dodger Stadium. That thing shakes. So I would say at its very peak, Dodger Stadium is the very best. But if they're losing and trailing in a game, that place lots of tension. It's like a library in there. It's like a morgue. I mean, it's definitely a lot of tension and you understand why. And I'm not contributing to it. I mean, if I'm in the stands, I'm not sharing and I'm curled up in a, in a little fetal position in between the aisle scared. So we got the Phillies DJ is better than ours. I don't even need to hear it. One, one song from that Phillies DJ, because no one's better than DJ severe. The best in the game it was on our show last year. I'm always chopping it up with DJ severe at the game. So I still think he's Top two, not two in MLB. Nando 390, Phillies aren't choir boys. Dodgers clubhouse is all choir boys. Yeah, we talked about that a little earlier, but we got some saved comments from my guy, Jordan, over there. D-Mac Jr., fire Gomes, hire my dad. D-Mac Jr., look, I can't be a GM, right? I can only have strong opinions about them, okay? That's that's my skill. I wish I, I could. I would probably, I would go all the freaking way in. I would trade all the prospects. You know how I get down parades over prospects, right? I would get all the players and probably baseball would be baseball. And we'd get swept again. So I don't want the smoke of that job. These guys make it look easier than it is. It's not, it's like putting together Ikea furniture. It's very difficult, right? It's not easy. So I appreciate it though, but uh, shouldn't you be in class DMAC junior, by the way, we got to metabolic says, I hate that baseball has such a disconnection between the regular season and the playoffs. They're literally two different sports. Yeah, that's the that's the gift and the curse, right? That's the gift and the curse. That's what makes it so frustrating, but that's also why you love it, right? It does have a little bit of this NCAA tournament March Madness feel where you just never know when a team's going to get hot because does the best team always win in baseball? The answer is no. Does the hottest team always win in baseball? The answer is yes. And like we talked about yesterday, in the NBA... 80% of the teams, 80% of the time in a seven game series, the better team wins as far as how successful they were in the regular season. As far as seeding goes in major league baseball, to be able to accomplish that same stat, as far as 80% of the time, 
you would need to have a 75 game series. It would have to be a best of 75 game series. And that's a study done from Fangraphs. So Fangraphs presented this really awesome stat a few days ago. So that just tells you right there that, yeah, it can be extremely maddening. There's no doubt about it, but look what happened in 1988. No one thought the Dodgers were going to win. What did Tommy Lasorda said? No one thought we we're going to beat the mighty Mets. No one thought we we're going to beat Jose Canseco and McGuire, the Bass brothers and the Oakland A's, but they were able to win. And that championship for people that lived through it, that is such a magical year. So yeah, it's uh, it kind of cuts both ways, right? But let's dive right into these comments, some more of these. So appreciate you guys, by the way, rock with us. Sorry to your bosses for hurting some of the productivity out there, but Hey, just take an extended, take an early lunch break every morning. How about that? You got Nando 390. My kid looks suspiciously like D Mac. I hate my wife, <laughs> bruh. Finish him. Nando 390. You're killing me, my guy. Uh, but uh, Hey man, your kid. Yeah. So you're telling me you have a handsome, handsome kid. Okay. Uh, Edgar Contreras, DMAC, what's the news conference at 1 p.m. with Andrew Friedman? So that is his annual news conference, win or lose. He speaks to the media. Last year, it definitely got a little edgy, got a little heated. It, no, I wouldn't say heated, but it was a little very tense. It was very tense, it seemed like, as far as answering questions about the narratives with Dave Roberts and the team's inability to hit with the runners in scoring position. So I'm sure that at the very least, you allowed a good amount of time to pass. Feels like it's been a week already, something like that, right? So there's been a good amount of time, hopefully, kind of tempers and the temperature of the room is a little lower. So it'll be very fruitful. I'm going to try to get some questions in for sure. I mean, definitely going to ask some, uh, some questions myself. So we will uh, report back to you with what we heard from Mr. Andrew Freeman. He's going to have his essential water. Like my guy, Jordan over there, stay very hydrated. So it should be very interesting. And like I said, be sure to tune into youtube.com slash Dodgers nation TV. We're going to upload that press conference right after it drops. So be sure to uh, tune in for that. But uh, yeah, so why don't we switch gears here? And now that we're on the topic of Andrew Friedman, I, you guys know I am. I give credit where credit's due. Sometimes I give criticism where I think it's warranted, but let's talk about the best and worst moves that Andrew Friedman made this season and this Dodgers organization. So first and foremost, I want to preface this by saying that Andrew Friedman is without question, one of the very best to do his job in this industry. He's right in the conversation with the best to do it right. There's no doubt about that, but guess what? No one's batting a thousand right? No one bats a thousand. This is major league baseball, right? You hit three out of 10 times and you're in the hall of fame. He's not batting a thousand more often than not. He makes the right moves, makes the most sensible moves. Some of the moves that he's made or has not made have been out of his control. So this is not Andrew Freeman state TV or anything like that. But I will say that this year it's going to be interesting how we evaluate this season, the moves he made or did not make years down the line. But the first one I would say, and you guys are probably be surprised by this answer. I would say his number one best move that he made, believe it or not, is re-signing Clayton Kershaw. And the reason for that is signs a one-year $20 million deal at a 246 ERA, a 3.7 war. So yes, he was awful. Had the worst start of his career. Absolutely forget about that start, right? I could have probably got up there and got a double off Kirsch in that one. He was bad in game one, shortest outing of his career, right? Terrible, awful. First pitcher in major league history to give up five hits of the first five batters he faced in the postseason. Gave those six runs. He was bad. He also was injured. 
And before that injury, he pitched really well. And even when he came back, you look at his overall ERA, he had a 246 ERA and a 3.7 war in 131 and two thirds innings of work. So if you look at the value there, teams are paying eight, $9 million per war. And he's giving you almost four war for $20 million. So that's great value for comparison's sake. Max Scherzer had a 3.2 war and he made $43.3 million, right? So we'll see. Max Scherzer could come back this series and perform well, perform in the world series and make a ton of sense for that Rangers team. But I still think from a value standpoint, winning in the regular season, it still should be considered a W that's a W his second best move this year. Second best off season move in season move was the signing of JD Martinez. And I don't know how much credit I give to Mookie Betts and how much credit I give to Robert Van Skoyak, but still it's, he's the guy who deserves the credit because he's built this organization as far as the roster build over the year. And they get him on a one year, $10 million contract, one year, $10 million contract, a 1.9 war, which is not as much as you probably would expect. But the fact that he's a designated hitter, he doesn't get that war from defense. So it's always going to be lower than you would expect, but still 33 home runs and 103 RBI. So that is really good. That is really good for JD Martinez, right? I mean, you're talking about someone who had, he played an entire season. He could have gotten 40 plus home runs. I mean, easily, easily. I mean, he ended up playing in 113 games, had less than 500 plate appearances, but had 893 OPS. That was up from 790. Last year with the Red Sox, he had 16 home runs in 139 games, 596 plate appearances. With the Dodgers, he had 33 just dingers in 113 games, 479 plate appearances. So J.D. Martinez, that was a W. I think that he's done enough to get himself a really decent multi-year contract with another team. But if they don't sign Shohei Otani, be interesting to see if they consider bringing back J.D. Martinez. But I just don't think it's going to happen. He's a Scott Boris guy. I think he wants another two, three-year deal. And I think he's going to get it. So I don't anticipate him being back with the Dodgers. And then the third best move they made this year, might surprise you a little bit, I'm going with Ryan Brazier. Ryan Brazier changed this bullpen. Some people might not remember this, but up until towards the end of June, this literally statistically was the worst bullpen in Dodgers history. They were an absolute dumpster fire. And Ryan Brazier, he was an absolute dumpster fire too before he signed with the Dodgers on a minor league contract. I mean, from 2021 to 22, he had a 616 ERA and 83 and a third innings of work. Before he signed with the Dodgers this year, he had a 729 ERA and 21 innings of work with the Red Sox. And with LA, he had a .70 ERA. And the Dodgers bullpen went from the worst in the league to the best in the league down the stretch, even in the postseason. Like I said, they were the favorite child in the postseason. They did everything right. They got straight A's. They stayed out of trouble in the postseason. They were outstanding, right? A lot of those came on Emmett Sheehan coming in the game prematurely early than he had expected because Kershaw did not perform well. Brazier ended up giving up that one home run. That definitely hurt some momentum, the bomb he gave to Gurriel, but this bullpen was outstanding. They were lights out, and it's really unfortunate because this was a championship level bullpen. In my opinion, now the big adjustment for Brian Brazier is Brazier was throwing that cutter to lefties and Ryan Brazier was effective with it. He was great all year was missing barrels. He was outstanding. One of those great 
reclamation project moves that they hit on. So he was great. And then four, Jason Hayward, Jay Hay. I remember going to Dodger stadium during the winter and no one was working out. And it was just Jason Hayward wearing his Dodger blue. I even asked him, I said, Hey, Jay Hay, Dodger blue is better than Cubs blue. And he said, yeah, he liked it. He was feeling it right. He was putting in the work. And at the time he was seen as a long shot to make this team. I had people telling me Jay Hay was hay washed, right? And he was coming off that Cubs contract that was seen by a lot of Cubs fans as the worst contract in their franchise's history, eight years, $184 million. And he completely turned his career around with the Dodgers. Like, I don't think people realize, I don't want to say how bad Jason Hayward was with with the Cubs, but just how average too bad that he posted above average offensive numbers with the Cubs just for one season in 2019. That was a full regular season, right? Other was the short in 2020 season, but even then he was hitting 255 in 770 plate appearances last year with the Dodgers. He had 15 home runs and 377 plate appearances had a 121 weighted runs created plus. So his offensive production was 21% above league average. He played great defense. He allowed Mookie to play second. He put the Dodgers best lineup out there against right-handed pitching with Hayward and right Outman in center and Peralta and left. And he had the pop. I mean, you saw a much shortened stroke. And when we made, I'm not going to sit here, by the way, you guys know I will take a victory lap right? I will take a victory lap, but I will not take one on Jason Hayward because I was not high on him. I asked you guys, if it was something, nothing or everything. I originally called this signing nothing because I just didn't think there was a world where he would turn things around. If you looked at his swing, it was so long. He struggled so mightily against fastballs. His swing was longer than a CVS receipt, but with the Dodgers, they shortened that stroke. It was more compact. He stayed within his mechanics for the entire season, and he was hitting the ball hard. If you look at his stat cast percentile rankings, all above average as far as hard hit percentage and barrel percentage, he was really fantastic. And like I said, 15 home runs in 377 plate appearances with the Dodgers in 2023. His last three seasons combined, in Chicago, last three seasons, 685 plate appearances. He had 15 home runs. So he matches home run total last year with the last three seasons combined with the Cubs. So Jay, Hey, he was great. And also too, let's point out the fact that the Cubs, they were on the hook for the bulk of that contract. So the Dodgers, they only paid him the league minimum. So that was subtracted from the 22 million that the Cubs were paying for. So it was a great deal. I think too, aside from his on-field production, I look at the fact that he was great in the clubhouse and he galvanized this group. I've spoken with him numerous times about being on this team and the chemistry. And he's just a big time leader. In fact, when the Dodgers lost after they got swept, Dave Roberts, he gives his speech every year. And then he opens up the floor. Jason Hayward was one of the players who spoke to the team after they lost to the Diamondbacks. So Will they bring him back? I think I'd love to see him back in Dodger blue. He's made his money. I think he's a good fit. I think he's got a couple solid years in him. If you can get him on a team friendly deal, I would not be opposed to it. But yeah, just to give you an idea, Jason Hayward, he gave the Cardinals almost as much war in 2015, 5.6 F war, 6.8 B war that he did with the Cubs over a seven year period from 2016 to 22. So he, in one year in 2015, he had a 6.8 B war, right? In seven years with the Cubs, he had an 8.9 B war. So I don't think that people realize how 
under how much he underperformed in Chicago. Now the fifth best signing this year, the fifth best move that Friedman made. I got to go with Miguel Rojas. Now offensively, he was bad. Hit 236, had a 69 weighted runs created plus. Hit five home runs, was 30 31% below league average. But he was a top five shortstop defensively. Finished with 12 defensive runs saved. That puts him in the top five. Every defensive metric you look at, he was near the top. And I think the first year with the restricted shift and Max Muncy's bad defense at third base, you needed a trusted glove for a shortstop because there just weren't many options. And I think that Gavin Lux goes down and that definitely hurt this team. Gavin Lux was someone that they were hoping was going to hit around 300, take a leap, possibly make an all-star team. So to have Miguel Rojas, who they had already signed, who they had already traded for in the Jacob Amaya deal, come in there, be that everyday shortstop, be able to post, be able to stay healthy and on the field, play great defense all season long. His offense was picked up near the end. And how about this? Say what you want about his offense, but you know what was not on my Dodgers postseason bingo card? I never thought that Miguel Rojas would have more hits than Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman combined. He ended up going two for four. He had two hits. He had two hits in the series. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman went one for 21. So that was the fifth one. I'll throw in a sixth one, by the way, and that's Kike Hernandez. Kike Hernandez, they traded for him. They ended up giving up Nick Robertson, prospect, right-hander, and a minor league right-hander, Justin Hagenman, on July 25th. They get Kike Hernandez. He had had a bad year defensively and offensively with the Red Sox, had a 599 OPS. He sees that number spike up to 731 with the Dodgers. And he wasn't fantastic in the regular season. He still was below average as far as OPS plus, but still in the postseason, he showed up. He goes three for eight, had three singles. I think Kike Hernandez is someone I want to see back in Dodger blue. So I think those are the best, the worst. Let me see if you guys can guess the worst before we get into it. Because I think the worst, you might be surprised. My take on the worst one here. We got Kike should 100% be back from Danny Thomas. We got Love Miggy Rowe from V. Mookie didn't want to move to LA. He isn't comfy here. Freddie is still a brave deep inside from Champ. Love Miggy Rowe. I love Kike Hernandez from J underscore smooth. Kersey says Thor. Thor from Justin Lamas. <laughs> you guys got it. That was the worst signing. But I don't think it's as bad as some people make it out to be. And here, let me explain why it's a one-year contract. What I always say, there's no such thing as a bad one-year contract. If you sign him to a two-year deal, he had two-year deals out there for him. He had three-year deals on the table that he could have signed. There were multi-year deals available to Noah Syndergaard, but he signed with the Dodgers because he wanted to get back to being an all-star, get back to being an ace-level pitcher. That never came to fruition. That never materialized. And if you look at how he performed in L.A., he was absolutely awful. A 7-1-6 ERA with the Dodgers in 55 and a third innings of work. That literally was towards the bottom of the league. Worst starting pitcher in Dodgers history, essentially, through 55 innings of work. That's how bad it was for Noah Syndergaard. Thor was a thud. He wasn't throwing those light bulbs, those light bolt, lighting bolts anymore. And it's unfortunate because... He was never able to regain the velocity on his fastball. And that really is the issue. He's a velocity reliant pitcher and the Dodgers, they end up trading him for Ahmed Rosario. And the fact they were able to get anyone from him was a surprise, but he was last seen pitching with the Cleveland guardians. It hasn't been seen since, but uh, yeah. So we'll got a couple more bad ones here. We got, um, 
we got, we got the Lance Lynn trade. So two is Lance Lynn. So Lance Lynn was supposed to be a guy they traded for that was going to eat innings, be a Pac-Man pitcher. He did that to a degree, had some solid starts, but he was actually worse with the Dodgers than he was with the White Sox. If you look deeper into his numbers from an ERA perspective, he had a 647 ERA with the White Sox, a 436 ERA with the Dodgers. But, uh, but if you look at his overall numbers, as far as the FIP goes, they were bad. I mean, everything went up. The strikeout rate went up and it went down. And in 64 innings with the Dodgers, like I said, a 436 ERA, it jumped from 519 to 616. The strikeout rate went from above league average, best of his career, down to 17.2%. That was the seventh worst in Major League Baseball after the trade deadline. The FIP went from 519 with the Y6. That was the third highest in Major League Baseball behind just Blatch and Giolito. Also give up 16 home runs, 16 dingers from Lance Lynn. So I got to put Lance Lynn as a glory because you threw out Lance Lynn in an elimination game. I mean, that to me is pretty unbelievable. Then David Peralta. I mean, David Peralta had some good moments. He comes in at number three. David Peralta signed a six and a half million dollar deal. They were hoping that his offense was going to translate a little more towards the end of the season and pick it up, but he just was never able to get in the groove after he had that really hot stretch. And he's someone who did have a double in the postseason, but overall his numbers were not great. They were even down from last year. He ends up hitting 259. The OPS plus went from 91 down to 81. So it was 19% below league average. We got Lynn just gave up another home run. Yep, exactly. Like we said yesterday, another home run. He's out somewhere, probably given a batting practice somewhere. But uh, yeah, I got to go with David Peralta. And then another move that I think you have to say was one of the worst moves was not making a move. I think we'll end on that one. Just not making a more aggressive move. And like I said, it's a little premature to completely have this conversation because you could look back and say, okay, maybe this is smart. Maybe this is sensible knowing how many injuries took place, knowing that Julio Arias was lost due to domestic violence charges, right? It could have been a situation where is it just reshuffling furniture on the Titanic? Maybe you could say that, but I still think that we still have not seen Andrew Friedman make an aggressive move in this era as far as the expanded postseason. So I would say the worst move was not making a move at all, but that's going to do it for this episode of Dodgers dugout live. Let's do some more comments where we head out. We got Kershaw should have pinched, should have pinch hit instead of Barnes. That's from DMAC jr. Yeah. I mean, he probably could put together a better at bat than Barnes did there. We got at this point. I think Hershiser would be a better manager. That's from Joe mama. Yeah. We got some more thoughts on Dave Roberts. I wanted to really save that for tomorrow because I want to hear what Andrew Friedman has to say about Dave Roberts, but it'll be very interesting to see what his reaction is. We got to V we need Juan Soto, Tommy fam or Randy Arozarena. by the way, who is the only person who said the Dodgers should have traded for Tommy fam and has two thumbs, this guy, right? You know, I love Tommy fam. I don't care about the off the field. stuff. I don't care about his locker room stuff. I don't care. I want to win baseball games. Okay. Sure. He slapped Jock Peterson. It's a fantasy football. You didn't slap your friends over fantasy football stuff. Come on now. Everyone always happens. But like, I think Tommy fam is a guy. They should have, should have picked up Randy Rosarena, you know, shoulders shrug. I'm cool with that. Juan Soto. I'm not so sure on, I think you got a lefty bat. You bring in one, you bring in Freddie Freeman, you bring in Shohei Otani. That's three lefty bats there. 
I don't think that that's the value. I don't think it's the value play for me. Juan Soto, when you consider the deal that he's going to get, I mean, as far as a trade goes, I mean, I don't anticipate a move happening with the Dodgers and the Padres, but could be pretty interesting. Julio's situation is hindsight. Danny. Yeah. Hindsight hyenas all over the place in this one. I'm just saying you could look at it as it, okay. It worked out at its best. If you're able to put the roster together that you want, you were able to get valuable experience for your young pitchers and we'll see how that translates moving forward. But that's going to do it for this episode of Dodgers dugout live. My name is Doug McCain. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. If you have not yet, be sure to subscribe to the channel, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell, hit that like button. Shout out to super producer Jordan over there. Find these comments. Always keep finding away with the comments all show long. We're going to have special sections. We're going to read off just comments. So make sure you're always finding your way with those comments. We'd love to get your takes down below. Remember nothing brings us together quite like Dodger baseball. And until next time, think blue.